Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Futures for Finance. Our guest speaker for this week is Mark Kantrowitz. Mark is a nationally recognized author of five best-selling books about scholarships and financial aid, including Wisdoms About Paying for College, Filing the FAFSA, How to Appeal for More College Financial Aid, and Secrets to Winning a Scholarship. He's also the publisher of SavingsForCollege.com, which is one of the most popular guides to saving and paying for college. His mission is to deliver practical information, advice, and tools to students and their families so they can make informed decisions about planning and paying for college. In addition, Mark has been quoted in more than 10,000 publications, some of the most notable being in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Time Magazine. We hope you will take away some great advice from this week's episode with Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Futures for Finance. Before kickstarting this episode, my name is Anthony Nguyen and I am a rising sophomore at UC Davis studying managerial economics and this will be my first time on the podcast. Hi, I'm Margaret and I'm returning to host another episode of Futures for Finance. We're super excited to introduce our speaker for today, Mark Kantrovitz. Hi Mark, it's super nice to finally talk with you. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Sweet. So just to start off today's podcast with your clear expertise in financial planning, specifically relating to student aid and saving for college, what would you say is your best advice for our listeners hoping to save money while attaining their degrees? Well, I mean, the best advice is to go to a cheaper college. Uh, an in-state public college will cost a quarter to a third the cost of a um, private college, and you get almost as good a quality education, in some cases a better quality education. Uh, so that's uh, one of the best ways to save money. And at a public college, about half of your cost will be in the living expenses, the room and board, the book supplies and equipment, transportation. Uh, and there you can save money um, by economizing. Like, live like a student while you're in school. And I feel like definitely thinking about where you choose to go to college is definitely a big factor with many states like in-state or private um, schools. And just like really utilizing how you live and like the standard of living versus after you graduate. And that's just very important to really understand how you should be living when you're in college versus after you graduate. Um, also, another one of the big things about going to college and saving for college is sourcing and finding scholarships. And I know you wrote one of your best-selling books on how to win a scholarship and applying to a scholarship. So as college students ourselves and with many of our listeners being incoming or current college students, what are some of the best resources we should utilize when sourcing scholarships? And additionally, what are some of your tips when applying to them? Well, and you're absolutely right. I mean, every dollar you win in a scholarship, as well as every dollar you save, is a dollar less you're going to have to borrow. And your goal should be to try to keep your debt at graduation in sync with your income after graduation. If your total debt at graduation is less than your annual income, you should be able to afford to repay your student loans in 10 years or less. Now, with scholarships, there are more than a dozen free scholarship matching services. And the word free is important. I mean, you should never pay money to find a scholarship or to apply for a scholarship. Because if you have to pay money to get money, it's probably a scam. But there are, there are many good scholarship matching services. There's FastWeb, there's the College Board's Big Future, and a whole bunch of different scholarship matching services. 
And when you use these services, you're providing them with a background profile. And there may be advertisements. And if you're not interested, you just click no on them. Uh, and they will then match your personal background profile against a large database of scholarships showing you just the awards for which you're eligible. And um, you should apply to every scholarship which you're eligible um, because it's a numbers game. You, there are many qualified students applying for scholarships, so among the most qualified students, it's a little bit random who wins and who doesn't. So the more scholarships you apply to, the greater your chances are of winning one. And the typical student is going to match 50 to 100 scholarships. So you're going to have a lot of work to do. Um, as far as increasing your odds of winning a scholarship, uh, first of all, read the application carefully. Read the sponsor's website carefully. Try to understand what they're looking for. And then tailor your essays towards that goal. When you're writing, if you have trouble writing, uh, try answering the question out loud and recording yourself as you answer the question. This helps improve the fluidity and the flow of your answer because most people write or type at 30 to 60 words a minute, but they speak at 180 to 200 words a minute. So the act of writing interferes with the flow of thought. And this is also a good technique for proofreading what you wrote. Print it out and then read the essay out loud. Any place that you stumble or have any kind of disfluency is going to be a place where there's something wrong. It might be a spelling or grammar error. It might be a flow problem. It might be a factual error. But as you're reading it, mark that space with uh, an X and then go back afterwards to try to figure out why you stumbled at that point. And then if it, after a few iterations, you're going to have a really powerful essay and in a more personal essay, which is very important. Um, you should also Google yourself and look at what your online uh, presence is I mean, on social media, on search engines. And if there's something that doesn't look all that great, try to fix it. Because more and more scholarship fighters are checking out their finalists online to one, just learn more about them, but also they're looking for red flags. So if you uh, show an underage drinking or drug use or uh, you're demonstrating a bad attitude, they may think twice before giving you their scholarship because they don't want you to reflect badly on the organization. Wow, that was such a detailed response about scholarships that I know will definitely resonate with college students such as myself, especially in light of the fact that colleges are becoming more and more expensive. It's very important, like now more than ever, that students are able to find ways to get their degrees without debt. And obviously scholarships can help a lot to help alleviate that stress. In particular, uh, thanks for specifically addressing tips for scholarships, such as applying to any and all opportunities for which you're eligible. I think that's super important. And also, as you know, given the fact that you are such a strong advocate for students and financial needs, we just want to dive more into your background and how you got so knowledgeable about these topics. 
So to that end, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what initially led you to getting involved in helping students and their families with strategies to save when receiving their education? I was one of those kids who won a gazillion dollars for college. I actually graduated from undergraduate school with more money than when I started. I attended a program that was then known as the Rickover Science Institute. It's now known as the Research Science Institute. It was founded by Admiral H.G. Rickover a few years before he died to keep the U.S. strong in science and mathematics. And at the time, there were no scholarship books about scholarships for math and science students. So when I returned the next year as a counselor, I decided to compile a list. Uh, and I shared that with the students, and every year that list grew until in 1992, Prentice Hall approached me about publishing the list as a book. And uh, that book was published in 1993, just when the web had started. And I started getting questions from by email. And rather than answer the same question again and again and again, I posted the answers to a web page uh, and uh, said, your questions answered on this web page, here's how you get out on the web. And then I started proactively answering questions before they were asked, uh, and uh, the website took on a life of its own. Um, and it was my principal spare time activity in the evenings and weekends uh, to update and expand the website. Until uh, in the late 1990s, I realized that I couldn't do my day job as a research scientist uh, and still spend enough time on the website. So I had to pick one or the other. I ultimately decided to focus on uh, building the websites because I figured that would help more people figure out how to pay for college and help society in general than building a better web search engine. So I quit my job as a research scientist, taking a big pay cut in the process. But since then, I have helped more than 100 million students figure out how to pay for college. Wow, thank you so much for sharing your personal journey in handling college finances. And it's amazing to hear you're able to graduate with even more money than you came into it, which is something not a lot of people can say. So that's a big feat in itself. It's really great that you've been able to compile all the experience and research to create such like streamlined resources for students and their families. And obviously your work has helped so many students. It's so great to hear you gave back in your spare time, financially empowers students by building your website and creating them to figure out the best methods to pay for college. And something at Futures of Finance we try to pride ourselves on is information through, or power through information. We really wanna educate the next generation of students and incoming college students about finance and career paths in finance. And that's so amazing how you were also trying to just inform students about how to save for money and finances in that kind of stream. Um, specifically honing on to your time testifying Congress, I was wondering what are some of the policies you discussed when testifying with them? Back in 2007, the subprime mortgage credit crisis started infecting the uh, student loan uh, market and lenders were having trouble making new federal loans. Uh, and I, I was the first to identify this as a problem. I was first to, I, even before most people recognized that there was a subprime mortgage credit crisis, I recognized that there was such a thing and that it was affecting uh, the student loans. So I proposed solutions, which were ultimately enacted by Congress in law, and that helped prevent a complete meltdown of the student loan industry and established a smooth transition from bank-based lending to direct lending. Another thing that I 
um, did was, um, and this is still ongoing, uh, is um, I helped introduce the concept of a net price uh, as a better measure of how much college costs. The net price is the difference between total college costs and the gift aid, the grants and the scholarships. The net price is like a discounted sticker price. Uh, it is the amount that you're going to have to pay from savings, income, and loans to cover the college costs. The higher the net price, the higher the debt. Uh, and part of the motivation for this was to try to improve college financial aid award letters, which tend to blur the distinction between grants and loans. And so students end up with financial aid packages where they don't realize that they're borrowing too much money. And so I've been an advocate for standardizing the financial aid award letters so that students have, uh, be, can make more informed, clearer, more intelligent decisions about how, which college you're going to go to and how they're going to pay for it. I definitely resonate with you there how, about how there are so many different costs associated with college. And I know a lot of people, including myself, like going into college, I wasn't aware of a lot of the different separate costs. So it was really good to definitely hear you speak about the detailed strategies to pay and save for college. Um, those are super helpful. And your introduction of the net price for colleges is something that, like I said before, as a college student myself, we've definitely felt the direct impact of your help standardizing letters, clarifying meanings behind loans versus grants, and really helping students just better navigate what their financial aid package really means. Um, so switching off of that, uh, going beyond the topic of managing finances for college, what are some other general personal finance practices you could provide our listeners? And what are some terms or concepts that you believe the next generation should familiarize ourselves with to be more financially literate? Well, learning how to budget um, is very important. And I'm not focused solely on a prescriptive budget, which says you can spend no more than this amount of money in this category, like eating out or entertainment. Rather, I suggest you start with a descriptive budget where you track your spending for a month, get receipts for everything, uh, and use a spreadsheet or Quicken or Mint.com, spreadsheets and Mint are uh, free, uh, to track your spending and assign it to various categories and major spending categories like food, housing, medical care, taxes, student loan payments. And uh, also whether it was a need or a want, was it um, mandatory in nature or was it a discretionary choice? And at the end of the month, total up the figures for each of the categories. Uh, and that will give you a sense of where you're spending your money. Um, and just being aware of how you spend your money is the first step in exercising restraint. The next time you decide to go out and eat, you might choose a, a less expensive restaurant that's just as good food, but doesn't cost as much because you realize that last month you spent $500 eating out, which is probably too much. Later on, if you want, you can do a prescriptive budget, but just being aware of how to budget uh, and um, how much money you're earning and how much you're spending will help you manage your money better. I also recommend that when you graduate, you do a few things. And first of all, Sign up on your student loans for auto debit, sometimes it's called auto pay, where your monthly payments are automatically transferred from your bank account to the lender. 
not only will this mean that you're not going to be late with a payment and you'll quickly get used to not having the money in your bank account, but many lenders will give you a slight interest rate reduction as an incentive. So you can save money doing that. And another way to save money is to claim the student loan interest deduction on your federal income tax return. Now, if you have extra money, you might want to pay off your loans quicker to save money on interest. But before you do that, make sure you build a emergency fund, an emergency fund that has at least half a year's salary in it. And that's even more important these days with uh, the, the, a third of American workers losing their jobs. And you, someone might still have a job, but who knows what's going to happen in a month or two. And what an emergency fund does is one, it provides you with enough money to survive on when you lose your job and you need to find a new job. And the average time on unemployment in the last economic downturn was five months. Um, they are, it also provides you with easy access to emergency money for unanticipated expenses, like your car needs a repair. You use the emergency money to pay for it, and then you build up your emergency fund again. And then once you have that emergency fund, you can start directing extra money uh, towards paying down your debts. And you should pay down the debt with the highest interest rate first because that's going to save you the most money. You can also uh, in, in save money. Um, what you should do is maximize the employer match if your employer matches contributions to your retirement fund. I know your retirement fund, uh, your retirement is 40 years in the future and you don't really want to think about it. But when your employer matches your contributions, that's free money. It's really hard to beat that in terms of return on investment. And you should be saving a fifth of your income for the last fifth of your life. That way, your lifestyle when you retire will be similar to your lifestyle just before you retire. Definitely. Thank you for discussing the significance of budgeting and money management. I know personally, I've been guilty of accidentally spending too much money without even realizing it's definitely really helpful to budget, and it's really interesting how you talked about budgeting not necessarily prescriptively, rather descriptively. That way, it's not necessarily about the exact dollars you spend in particular categories, but it's an overall spending, which lets you have a little more flexibility. In particular, thank you for speaking about the different ways to save money, especially with student loan tax deductions, as well as building up an emergency fund, which could help with someone when someone loses their jobs, especially in today's unstable economy with things such as COVID and other economic uncertainties. Finally, thank you for touching on finding employers who will match your benefits with such things as a retirement fund with the 401k matching and using the principle rule that you should always save one fifth of your money and the last one fifth in the last one fifth of your life. And you know, with your extensive knowledge of students and their financial backgrounds, I was wondering what current trends you see among students that are potentially harmful to their finances, especially nowadays with much more easy access to things such as the internet or online shopping platforms such as Amazon and even such things as like digital, digital methods of payment. Well, I think an important problem is the ostrich approach to managing your personal finances, where you figure if I ignore it, the problem will go away. And that could be, and you get letters from your lender or the financial aid office, and just ignore them. In fact, medical school students have something that they call the freezer method, where they put any mail that they get while they're in medical school in a Ziploc baggie, and they throw it in their freezer, 
And then after they graduate, they thaw it out to deal with it. But if the there was a registration error um, and they're technically not enrolled in college, well, their loans can go into repayment and ultimately default if they ignore it. Uh, and similarly, I, undergraduate students need to pay attention to the amount that they're borrowing uh, and keep track of your loans so that you don't accidentally forget a loan after you graduate. And also make sure that you're keeping your debt in sync with your income so that you can afford to repay the debt. And sometimes they just ignore it and they're surprised when they graduate by just how much debt they've accumulated. So and pay attention, uh, keep track of everything. It's gonna do you well in the long run. You can't always have what you want if you can't afford to pay for it. Um, so if you carry a balance on your credit card, and not only is that really expensive debt, but it means that you're spending more than you can afford to repay. Now, it's student loan debt is good debt in that it's an investment in your future, unlike credit card debt, which is pure consumption, but also too much of a good thing can hurt you. So you wanna keep the debt as low as possible. Only spend what you really need using student loan money. Don't spend up to the limit because you're gonna to have to repay that. And with interest, it's going to cost you a lot. Using the typical interest rates and repayment terms and the uh, capitalization of interest during the in-school period, most students end up spending, spending about double the uh, amount that they borrow by the time they repay the debt. Uh, so before you spend money on anything, ask yourself if you would still buy it at twice the price. Because if you're using student loan money to pay for it, it literally is going to cost you twice as much. Definitely. Um, thank you for talking about the terms you mentioned, such as freezer ostrich methods, where students just ignore their finances and bills until the end of the term and, you know, how important it is for students to keep track of their finances as they come and how they should only spend what they need, not all of what they could have or could spend. Um, going off what Anthony said earlier, I completely run into the same problem with spending money on things that I want instead of things that I need. And I it's a terrible habit, but it's good to acknowledge it. And it's honestly really interesting and helpful to hear about all this advice since, you know, it's coming from both your research and your personal experiences in the past. And with everything you've talked about from helping students with their finances to providing so, so many tips about student saving and lifelong saving, you clearly have a wide breadth of knowledge about budgeting, saving, investing, and, you know, finance obviously does mean a lot to you. I mean, you literally left your past career just to help students um, become financially literate and pay for college. So we just wanted to end this conversation in the same way that we finish out every episode by getting your thoughts on what does finance mean to you? Personal finance means to me that I'm managing my money. I'm not letting my, man my money manage me. I need to be in control of the decisions instead of having uh, my finances accumulate and the problems just pile up and eventually I have no choice in how I deal with the money issues or I have not enough money to pay for the things I need, let alone the things I want. I try to save beyond just saving for retirement and saving for other known expenses. I, I habitually save a, a fifth of my income just to save it so that when I need to spend money, I don't have to think about what do I need to sacrifice in order to achieve my goals.
I mean, there, there are only so many ways that you can deal with having too much debt. I and mean, you can cut your expenses. And in some cases, that means adopting an austere lifestyle, like moving back in with your parents to save on rent or getting a roommate or moving to a, a less expensive apartment, selling your car and using a bicycle or public transportation or getting a much less expensive car. Um, those are the big ticket items, but even th simple things like and cutting out cable TV and uh, cell phone unless your boss is paying for it. That's cutting the uh, spending. Then there's increasing income. I mean, try to get a raise at work or work extra hours to earn more money or get a side gig on the evenings and weekends to earn more money to pay for back your student loans and other expenses. An added benefit of working the evenings and weekends is that you'll have less time to spend money. Also, if you have any belongings that you aren't using and you haven't used it in a year, then you should try selling it to raise money to pay down your debt. Because once you're free of having uh, this debt hanging over you, um, it'll be incredibly refreshing. And those habits can then continue so that and you have the money that whenever you need to, you can afford to do so. So that can be a, a really strong sense of freedom by not having uh, the, as I said earlier, your money manage you as opposed to you managing your money. Well, everything you have touched on is invaluable knowledge and will help students become more financially independent and proficient. Even with your last response, it's so clear to me that you have an unwavering commitment to students and their finances because obviously finance entails so many different things. With that, if any of our listeners wants to learn more about Mark, feel free to check out his bio listed on the website at futuresforfinance.com and connect with him via LinkedIn. Finally, we want to say thank you to everyone who's tuned into this conversation. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and follow our Instagram and LinkedIn pages for more updates about our Term of the Day series. For now, we hope you have a nice weekend ahead and you are staying all safe and healthy. Thank you for having me.